Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode number 140-140 for the week of September 29th. We are running up on the fourth quarter of the year. 2018 is just flying by. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Got a lot of stuff to cover. The schedule's starting to get loaded. Before we get started with news and notes, though, I want to say thank you to Vlad Rudichuk and Saul Soto for helping us out on Patreon, helping out the show, and that Montero Unboxing channel. Guys, uh, if you can get to Patreon, please do so. Patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. Otherwise, check us out on Apple Podcast, on Spreaker, SoundCloud, and of course on YouTube. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of it, and let's get the chat going on social media. Just spread the word about the podcast, guys. Uh, that is the fee for this episode, number 140. Spread the word about this podcast. Post it on your blog, your social media, whatever it is, the YouTube, the Stitcher, the SoundCloud, iTunes. Get it out there. Specifically, this episode. I want you guys to share, post this episode of The Neutral Corner on your social media. If you guys go into any of the boxing chat rooms, let's do that one. Whether it's the boxing scene chat rooms, uh, Boxing News 24-ish chat rooms. A lot of them do. If you guys are in any of these chat rooms, post this episode, 140 of TNC, in those boxing chat rooms that you guys frequent. And that includes Facebook groups and all that stuff, all right? That's what I want you guys to do. That is your fee for this episode. And you guys know I bring you this material every week, rain, snow, or shine. Last Saturday night, we did our first live uh, fight review, fight party, Tiffany and I. Those of you who joined us for that, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Uh, man, we're definitely going to do more of that because the response was tremendous. So there's going to be more of that stuff coming down the line. All right, let's get into news and notes. Okay, so the biggest thing that happened over the last week, I guess, is, as far as news goes, it, it was... It's interesting because this fight was announced weeks ago, but there was no date. Well, now we got a date, but we still don't have an official venue, although I'm 99% sure it's going to be in Los Angeles at Staples Center for the WBC heavyweight title of the world, Deontay Wilder in Tyson Fury. They're talking about December 1st, Showtime pay-per-view, and... The leading candidate is Staples Center in Los Angeles. They promise that that information should be finalized this week. So who knows? Maybe as I'm sitting here recording this, the, the news is dropping. But I expect it to be more toward the end of the week where we should finally get ticket information and all that stuff. And you guys know when this fight was first announced, when uh, Deontay Wilder went over there to the U.K., and got in the ring with Tyson Fury after he beat Francesco Pianetta. Man, that feels like it was months ago. I know it wasn't, but it just feels like it was months ago because there's been this gap in between announcing the, the date. And hopefully we don't have the same length of time before we get the, the venues you know, solidified. And, and you got to get tickets going, man. If this is a pay-per-view, you're trying to get people out there. You've got to load this card. You got to get tickets available. 
So we've heard about a possible fight between Leo Santa Cruz and Gary Russell Jr. We've heard about Javante Davis being on there with Abner Mares. There's even been some talk of Jarrett Hurd, uh, Charlo being on there in tune-up fights, kind of a preview before they fight each other early next year when the budgets open back up on the networks. I don't know, but they do have to stack this card for a couple reasons. One, it's a pay-per-view. And this is nowhere near the level of fight, the, the attraction that the Canelo Golovkin pay-per-view was. I'm being told that the Canelo Triple G pay-per-view did top a million pay-per-view buys, but it did not do as well as last year's in overall sales. That's what I'm hearing. Don't have anything official yet. But if that just topped a million pay-per-view buys, then what do you think this one's going to do between Wilder and Fury? It's going to be a fraction of that, right? It's going to be several hundred thousand. But I doubt it cracks half a million unless you stack the undercard. So that and they got to make it affordable. The Canelo Triple G2 uh, pay-per-view, that was $85. And it was, you know, you could argue worth the money because of the action everyone got. And all the fights, even the undercard fights, although they were gross mis mismatches, they were at least exciting. They weren't 12-round stinkers that we see in a lot of these pay-per-view undercards. And there were some names there. But, uh, you know, for this Wilder Fury thing to do well, man, they've got to price it right. I'm talking $60, somewhere in that price range. And you at least have to have another significant co-feature. And I think Leo Santa Cruz, Gary Russell Jr., that's unifying titles in their division at featherweight. Also, you're going to bring in the Mexican-American fans. And Santa Cruz is from Los Angeles, and he has shown that he is a brand in Los Angeles. So that is a major, major part of that pay-per-view success, in my opinion. I think it would be very foolish for uh, PBC to not put on that co-feature because I think it really helped them sell tickets at the venue. It also helped them sell some of the pay-per-views. So we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully, it's all solidified this week, and that includes information about the other cards they're not going to have the whole undercard put together yet, obviously, but we should at least know what the co-feature is. If people are going to plan to start buying tickets and traveling out to Los Angeles, we're pretty sure that's where it's going to be. Top Rank has a card that night in Los Angeles, too. I'll talk about that in a second. But if people want to start making travel plans and everything, man, you got to, you got to get this stuff out there. So hopefully we get some info from PBC and uh, Frank Warren at some point this week and we get all the details. Okay, so... I just talked about December 1st, right? And, and Top Rank was originally going to put on the Vasil Lomachenko-Jose Pedraza unification fight at 130 pounds. I'm sorry, at 135 pounds. They were going to do that at the Forum in Los Angeles. But now because of all this talk with Wilder Fury going there on that date, suddenly Bob Arum has made a couple of changes. So what they've done is now that Loma-Pedraza fight, that's going to be December 8th, the following Saturday, and it's going to be at MSG in New York. Makes a lot of sense. It's also going to be on regular ESPN, not ESPN+. Plus. That also makes a lot of sense because Saturday, December 8th, for those of you who are into college football, that is the day of the Heisman Trophy Award, which is a very, very popular show here in America. College football is like the number one sport here in the United States for whatever reason. I don't quite get it, you know, but it, it is. And the best college player of the year wins the Heisman Trophy Award. And there's a Heisman Trophy show on December 8th on ESPN. And 
Bob Arum, a top rank, wanted to put on a good, strong card right after that. So the Heisman show would lead right into the boxing. Lomachenko has done good ratings on ESPN, and they've built him up there, and he's been entertaining in his fights recently on ESPN. So now he's going to fight at the Garden, which he's fought at before, against Pedraza, who is Puerto Rican in New York. A lot of Puerto Ricans. That fight makes a hell of a lot of sense in New York. I think it makes more sense in New York than Los Angeles. They're going to keep the December 1st card, though. There's still going to be a card December 1st at the forum that Top Rank puts on. So December 1st in Los Angeles, fight fans, you're going to have, you're going to have options. Unfortunately, you got to pick one. So you're either going to go down to the Top Rank show, which is going to be probably a lot cheaper, the tickets. And Aram says that they're going to put on a lot of Mexican uh, fighters on that card. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't even know who's going to have on that card. But you're either going to go down to Inglewood to the top rank show, or you're going to spend more money and go downtown to Staples to the PBC show. Obviously, the PBC show is the bigger show. It just has the bigger names already. And no way in hell would Aram want to put up Lomachenko Pedraza in the same city when you have Wilder Fury happening. So this is a smart move by top rank. And I'm, I'm hearing that the December 1st card that they have at the forum will be on ESPN+. Plus. I don't know if it's going to be on regular ESPN, but I know the Lomachenko-Pedraza fight will be regular ESPN. So anyway, one last note about uh, ESPN and top rank. Bob Arum talked this week in an interview about the Canelo-Golovkin third fight, which more and more industry insiders are saying will happen next May. And he was saying that he would be more than willing to work with Oscar De La Hoya and Tom Loeffler and bring that fight to ESPN. Could you imagine that? Now, it would be, I'm sure it'd be ESPN pay-per-view. I don't know how that would work. But, man, that might really, really blow up and be a big, big thing if they could make that happen. That, that to me, would, number one, be the nail in the coffin at HBO. Another, just the last nail in the coffin. Right now, there's a couple nails in the coffin, but the coffin isn't closed yet. But if a Canelo-Golovkin third fight came together and it went to ESPN, that would just be the final nail in, in HBO Boxing's coffin. They would be done. 2019 would be their last year in boxing. It used to be, I mean, you guys think about it, every single year, regardless of which network has the best overall schedule, the biggest pay-per-view of the year is always on HBO. Now, some of you will argue that Showtime with some of those Mayweather bouts was the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Fine, you can make that argument. I just think that during that time when Mayweather was fighting B-level guys on that, with that Showtime deal for the most part, on Showtime, on Manny Pacquiao was fighting mostly B-level guys on pay-per-views on HBO. And in those sometimes they kind of went back and forth. Sometimes the Mayweather pay-per-view was the biggest show. Sometimes the Pacquiao, maybe it didn't sell as much, but it was a better fight because there was a, a better matchup there. He was fighting a better fighter than Mayweather was. But yeah, it kind of went back and forth. But you guys get my general point. For eons now, the biggest or at least among the top two or three biggest pay-per-view events of the year, every year in boxing is on HBO. If Canelo Golovkin 3 happens, it goes to ESPN. That is obviously going to be the biggest fight of the year next year, unless we get 
Wilder and Joshua, which I'm starting to wonder, I really, really am. And even if we do get that, it's, it's very likely going to the UK for the first fight. The second fight would be in Vegas. Or maybe I got it backwards. Maybe the first one would come to Vegas. But either way, it still would be among the biggest fights of the year, right? And financially, a Canelo-Golovkin third fight, I'm going to call it a rubber match, still makes more money than a Joshua Wilder fight, even next year. It just makes more money. And that fight not to be on HBO when those two fighters have built most of their career, at least since they've been champions, on HBO, that'd be a big deal, man. Big, big deal. So let's keep that in the back of our mind as we go forward. All right, guys, that's it with news and notes. Not a whole lot going on in the news and notes world. We're kind of sitting and waiting on some some news to happen. But uh, we got a lot to review and a lot to preview. So let's get to it. Last Friday, September 21st, at the Doubletree Hotel in Ontario, California, undefeated Texas 130-pound prospect Michael Dutchover keeps his O, improves to 11-0 with eight knockouts with a KO5 in the main event of a Thompson boxing card. Also at the Fire Lake Arena in Shawnee, Oklahoma, there was a showbox card put on by Debella Entertainment. Oshaki Foster improved to 14-2 with eight knockouts and an upset win over a fighter from Spain, John Fernandez, who came in undefeated. This is for a minor 130-pound title. It was a 10-round fight. Uh, Foster's out of Houston. I talked last week in the preview. I'm sorry. Yeah, the preview, uh, how he had over 100 amateur fights. He went all the way to the Olympic trials in 2012, lost to Joseph Diaz. So uh, Foster's no joke. And he did come in here as the underdog, though. Uh, Fernandez, this, again, was his first loss of his career. Co-promoted by Sergio Martinez, who originally is from Argentina, obviously, but he spent a lot of time in Spain and really started his career over there, um, at least in a big way. And uh, this kid was like a kind of like a protege of Sergio Martinez. And Sergio was trying to bring him up. I think he co-promotes him with Lou DiBella. And so this was absolutely an upset win. Uh, how about this, man? In the entire Showbox series on Showtime, this is the 180th time a prospect has lost his O on this series. That tells you how good Showbox is. Prospects really, really make their bones on that series. Showbox is one of the best things in American boxing right now as far as what we have on TV. It is a great series. 180 fighters have lost their undefeated record on that series. That's quite a statistic, man. Saturday, September 22nd at the Wembley over in London. It was a matchroom on DAZN card. It was DAZN here in America, Sky Sports box office over there in the UK. In the main event, Anthony Joshua improves to 22-0 with 21 knockouts, scoring a TKO7 win over Alexander Povetkin, who drops to 34-2 with 24 knockouts. Joshua defends his WBA, IBF, WBO titles, dropping Povetkin twice in the seventh round. I don't know about you guys, but I had this fight even after six. And I thought Povetkin won the first two rounds and I believe the fifth round. Those were the rounds I gave to Povetkin. And he was not jabbing at all. I looked at the punch numbers. He barely threw a jab in this entire fight. But he was bobbing and weaving and staying low, which is what we've seen Carlos Techam and Joseph Parker able to do against Joshua. The difference is those guys didn't punch back. Povetkin did. So he stayed low, he ducked low, but he didn't back up. He moved forward. 
and he looped shots. He looped nice, nice left hooks. He, he landed one at the end of the first round that buckled AJ. And if that shot had been landed in the first minute of that first round when AJ was still a little cold, we might have had an upset special on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, Joshua, to his credit, to his credit, uh, he absorbed left hooks and right hands from Povetkin that he didn't really see coming. The old crafty veteran was able to get in some good shots. AJ broke his nose in the first round, which, you know, it's been broken in fights before. He settled down. He started working behind the jab, started using his length. And one thing he did beautifully in this fight was jab right to Povetkin's soft body. Povetkin isn't necessarily an athlete as much as he is a fighter. Povetkin's old school. He is a fighter first, a boxer first, an athlete second. You can make the argument that Joshua is an athlete first and a fighter second. However, when the going gets tough, AJ has proven more than one time now that he can bite down and get a win. Now, he bit down and got a win on an ancient Vladimir Klitschko. He bit down and got a win against an ancient Alexander Povetkin, who he outweighed by, I think, 30 pounds in this fight and was several inches taller. It looked like a heavyweight versus a cruiserweight. Can he bite down and get a victory if moments get rough against Deontay Wilder? Those are the questions being asked right now. It's, it's so interesting because these are many of the same questions people were asking about Canelo Alvarez while the hype and the buildup was coming for him and Gennady Golovkin to fight for that you know year or two when people were talking about it. People were saying, how is Canelo going to respond? You know, He's been in there with old guys, smaller guys. How is he going to respond? He's in there with a dude who is his size and can punch hard. What's he going to do? And Canelo has proven his worth over 24 rounds with Golovkin. Now, I've been telling you guys forever, this AJ Deontay thing, it is the heavyweight version of Canelo Golovkin. And people are, AJ is Canelo and Deontay is Golovkin in, in certain ways. And it, it's not an exact metaphor here, guys, or an exact comparison, but you, you follow what I'm saying. In the situation, the A side, B side, all that stuff. And Joshua's had the golden road pay for him. He hasn't had to struggle or work his way up at all. It's all been very, very easy for him. He's proven himself in some tough moments against older fighters, smaller fighters, limited fighters. He hasn't faced a prime athlete that is the same size with bone-crushing power like Wilder at all. He fought an older version in, in the version of you know a 40, 41-year-old Vladimir Klitschko. Fine but not a prime version. So all the questions people were asking about Canelo and Golovkin, they're starting to build this thing up with AJ and Deontay. And it just makes the whole thing fascinating for me, man. I really do hope it finally happens. And I, and I do think it will, but it's probably going to be another year before we see those two fight, at least another year. Okay, so AJ has a fight next on April 13th. It's not going to be Deontay Wilder. We know that. Um, Huey Fury is fighting Kubrat Pulev October 27th. The winner of that fight is the IBF mandatory. So remember, Pulev was supposed to fight AJ, got hurt before, and that's when Takam came in. So I think the winner between Fury and Pulev, they're going to win the AJ sweepstakes. Just like I told you guys, David Lemieux, you know, a couple weeks ago, won the Canelo Alvarez sweepstakes. Well, 
Huey Fury, Kubrat Pulev. Winner of that fight gets AJ next April 13th over there in the UK. And they're going to get a massive payday. So I think that's who he's going to fight next. Now for Povetkin, had some good moments in this fight. But I got to go ahead and say this and upset and trigger some of you. I know he's 39 years old. He looked a little softer in this fight than we've seen him in recent fights. He quickly lost energy in the middle rounds. Now, a lot of that was due to AJ jabbing the shit out of his solar plexus. He'll get right under that rib cage. But he just seemed to physically wear down rapidly in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. You just saw the energy being sapped out of him. And the power that jolted Joshua early with that big left hand in the first round and some right hands, he landed some of those shots in the fifth round, which again, I think Povetkin won. They didn't even budge AJ. So um, you saw the punch power fading in the middle rounds. You saw the punch resistance fading in the middle rounds. He was getting bothered and moved by Joshua's shots. Was it age or was it the, you know, that he didn't have artificial help? Or was it a combination of both? I don't know. I'm going to leave that up to you guys. But where does he go from here? Should he hang him up? He's going to be 40 years old next year. I mean, maybe you come back, you do another fight or two in Russia. You go out on a high note. But at this point, he's made millions and millions of dollars. He's, he's a bona fide star over in Russia. He's a name. He's on a first name basis with Vladimir Putin. So why not hang him up soon? Do one more fight, maybe two more fights next year. And call it a day. That's what Povetkin should do. Uh, so for AJ, continues to show flaws. He showed flaws in this fight. He can definitely be hit. He does not. He can be hit. He does not move his head a whole lot. He's a little stiff, and I just think he's too muscular. He he reminds me in some ways of some of the issues that Vladimir Klitschko had early on. Before Vladimir Klitschko was with Emmanuel Stewart, go, guys, go back and look. He was more muscular. And he was a little more straight up in the way he moved with his footwork. He was an offensive juggernaut. He'd just stand in front of you and bomb the shit out of you. But if you could take that heat and give it back to him, he was vulnerable. When you got with Emmanuel Stewart, he learned defense. And he learned how to move his head. He learned how to use rhythm and footwork to get out of the way. And yes, clinching and leaning. But maybe it wasn't as entertaining, but it was better for his career. And I think AJ might be the same thing. He might be a KO waiting to happen. So far, he's been able to respond. Anytime he's been buzzed or dropped, he's been able to respond. But the way he's getting hit against smaller guys and older guys, I don't know, man. He's wide open for right hands. And Deontay Wilder, if he has anything, it is a bomb straight right hand. So we'll see. But if I'm in AJ's camp, I'm telling him to never lift a weight again in his life. No more weightlifting. We're going to lose weight. We're going to cut down on some of the dietary things we're doing to, to drop some muscle. And we're going to focus on moving our hips, moving at the waist, moving our head, and using angles and spacing better. Because these little guys and these old guys shouldn't be touching us when we're a 6'6 Adonis with the kind of jab and power we have. Shouldn't be happening. Also on this card, Luke Campbell avenges a split decision loss from 2015, wins a unanimous decision over Yvonne Mendy, who drops to, uh, or I'm sorry, Campbell is now 15, or 19 and 2 with 15 knockouts. Great amateur over there. Won the 2012 gold in London. 
hasn't quite lived up to some of the expectations people had for him yet as a pro. However, I think he has shown improvement since that first loss in 2015. He gave Jorge Linares a good fight in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, I was ringside for that one. I saw him up close and I was like, man, this kid's got some tools. The one thing that really holds Campbell back, he's not a hard puncher. He's just not a professional grade puncher. He doesn't really sit down on his punches. He punches more with an amateur style to get away from you, to, to land a you know, score point and then get off you, which is smart. That's slick, good boxing. But sometimes in the professional game to keep a guy off of you, you got to sit down on the shot and do some damage with it. In this fight with Mendy, he wasn't doing any damage upstairs, but he started going downstairs. And I do think those body shots affected Mendy a little bit. So this was a WBC lightweight eliminator. Now he is technically, Campbell is, the mandatory for Mikey Garcia. Could that fight happen? I think that it would make a hell of a lot of sense. Of course, it'd go to Los Angeles, but Campbell has already traveled to LA to fight Linares. The fans there have already seen him. I would welcome, I would welcome a Garcia-Campbell fight in LA. I think that would be a fun fight, an interesting matchup of styles, and it'd be very interesting to see what Garcia could do with Campbell differently than what Linares did. Garcia, nowhere near as fast with his hands or as flashy or anything as Linares, but much more fundamentally and especially defensively sound. So I think that could be a really fascinating boxing match. I would like to see that one. Also on this card, heavyweight, Sergey Kuzmin improves to 13-0 with 10 knockouts. This is the guy I told you guys about from Russia who trains with Dimitri Bivol, scores a retirement win, a fourth-round retirement win over David Price, who claims he came into this fight with, with a torn bicep. How he passed medical clearance to get in there, I don't know. But uh, tore it worse in this fight and retired after the fourth round. So this was basically him collecting a paycheck he is now three and four in his last seven. So time to hang him up, David. I don't even know how this guy gets fights anymore. One other fight I should mention on this card, and I'm only going to mention it because it's arguably the worst fight I've seen in four or five years. Lawrence Oakley improves to 10-0 and with seven knockouts, wins a unanimous decision over Matty Askin, wins the British cruiserweight title. Oakley is a 2016 Olympian. A lot of people are excited about him as a prospect over there in the U.K., but man, this was a terrible fight. So he's the British cruiserweight champion now. That's great. But he's got a lot to work on. And when you put on a horrible, I'm not going to say horrible performance, just a horrible show. It was a horrible showing. It doesn't excite people to see you again. So his matchmakers need to get him in there with some guys that he can A, learn from, get better, you know, and learn from in the next couple of fights, but B, look good against. Because these two, the styles between Oakley and Askin, ooh, just brutal stuff, man. And today, this morning, Monday, September 24th, in Aichi, uh, Japan, Kosei Tanaka, in fighting in his hometown, wins a majority decision over Sho Kimura to take the WBO flyweight title. The scores were 116-112. A Hungarian judge had that score. A judge from the Philippines had it 115-113. Both of them had it for Tanaka. And Don Trello, the American judge, had it 114-114, a draw. I'm not quite sure what Don Trello is seeing. But he's had a couple of cards recently that they're in the ballpark, but they're still off by a round or two. He's kind of slipping. Some of his scores in the last couple years 
I've just been a couple rounds off because most people felt that Tanaka, it was a close fight. This was a war. It was a very, very good, hotly contested fight with back and forth two-way action, a lot of give and, give and take. But most people feel Tanaka won by a couple points, two or three points. He clearly won this fight. So Kimura, you guys, if, you, if that name, Sho Kimura, stands out to you and you're like, where have I heard that name? He KO'd Zoshi Ming last July to win this flyweight title. And kind of that was the first show that Zoshi Ming promoted. He was trying to be a promoter and he told Top Rank to get lost, promote his own show and got knocked the hell out. So that's where you've heard the name Kimura. Defended that title a couple times and now Tanaka wins. So Tanaka's had a title at 105, 108, and 112, all within his first 12 fights. So that ties Lomachenko's record. Lomachenko has three titles in 12 fights as well. However, much, much different resumes here. For starters, all 12 of Tanaka's fights have been in Japan, and he has fought nowhere near the opposition that Lomachenko has, which includes uh, former champions, current champions, um, pound for pound level talent, right? So Lomachenko clearly faced the better opposition. However, Tanaka, three titles within 12 fights, that is impressive. It absolutely is impressive. But he, this guy can't put him on a pound for pound list or anything like that right now because, again, the opposition he's faced, it's just not the same as a Naoya Inoue, or Inoue, I should say, or Lomachenko, other guys who have won titles in multiple divisions rapidly in their career. Hasn't faced that level of opposition yet, but definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And the, the scene over there in Japan, I'm telling you guys, man, if you're not catching these Japanese fights, they're great. There is really a scene building over there in Tokyo that is being just missed, if not flat out ignored, by a lot of fight fans in the West. And you're missing out. If you're a true diehard fight fan, you need to catch some of these Japanese cards. All right, guys, that's it with the review of last week. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. This Friday, September 28th, at the King Abdullah Sports City in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. It is the World Boxing Super Series, Season 1 Super Middleweight Finale between George Groves and Callum Smith. The WBA Super Super Middleweight title and the WBC Diamond Super Middleweight title are on the line. Both of those titles are about as thin as my notes paper here. But uh, Groves, 28-3 with 20 knockouts. He has been stopped himself twice. And Callum Smith, who is undefeated at this point, going up against each other, doing battle. This was supposed to happen earlier in the year, but Groves had a shoulder injury. Groves is 30 years old, 5'11", 72-inch reach. Hasn't fought since he beat Chris Eubank in February. Again, had that injury. So we don't know, is he going to be fresher? Is, he gonna, is it still a nagging injury? Could there be issues? We really won't know until we see this fight. Smith, 28 years old, listed as 6'3". I don't know if he's quite 6'3", but he's clearly taller and longer than Groves. He hasn't fought since February as well when he beat uh, Nyeki Holtzkin. So Smith's best win, you know, you just you look at these two resumes. Calm Smith, best win is probably Rocky Fielding. Back in 2015, he beat Rocky Fielding. So he hasn't faced anywhere near the level of opposition that George Groves has, man. You look, Groves has fought James DeGale, 
an ancient Glenn Johnson, but still, Glenn Johnson that brings a lot of experience into the ring. Carl Frotch, Badu Jack, Martin Murray, right? And we talked about Chris Eubank, who's on the co-feature, I believe, on this undercard. He fights in the co-main. But Groves has fought all those names going back years. And he's clearly improved. He's clearly learned from all that experience. So you have to favor him in this fight. He's only two years old in hum older than Smith in human years, but in boxing years, you know, he's been stopped. He's been badly, brutally stopped by Carl Frotch. Um, he's probably 10 years older in boxing years. So in this fight, do you have Callum Smith rise to the occasion and does youth have its way? Or do you have the old man who knows all the tricks pull out another good to great performance and win this tournament. And it'd be the accomplishment of George Grove's career. And it, you know, he's really done it the old school hard way. He's just had to learn on the job. I don't know what we're gonna have here, man. I mean, I could see Smith just using his length and jab and just poking the hell out of G George Groves and just keeping at distance and winning a fairly dull, maybe disappointing decision. But I could also see Groves just using all the veteran experience he has to get inside of that jab because there's not a whole lot of steam on Smith's punches. Getting inside, working the body, using combinations, and busting the kid up and winning a comfortable decision. Either way, I think this thing is going 12 rounds. Neither one of these guys is a very, very hard puncher. So I think it's going all 12. X factors. Is Smith the real deal or not? This is his chance to show it. Has he been? He hasn't looked spectacular in some of his recent fights. But there was, you know, when he was first coming up as a prospect, a lot of people were excited because you saw a lot of potential. Has he been, you know, fighting down to the level of his opposition? You know, or is that just his? Is he just a limited fighter and he's just not what some people thought he might become? We're going to find out. That's one X factor. The other X factor is Grove's shoulder slash age. Those are the two X factors. If you put a gun to my head, I got to go with George Groves by decision in this fight. Also, Friday, Oracle Arena, Oakland, top rank on ESPN+. Main event, Jerwin Ancajas, the Filipino fighter, going up against Mexican Alejandro Santiago Barrios. Sixth defense of Ancajas's IBF super flyweight title. You know, he won that title in his native Philippines in late 2016, fought three times in 2017. This will be his third fight in 2018. And you, so he's been busy, in other words, right? Busy, busy fighter. He's fought in Macau, Brisbane, Belfast, Texas, California. So he's fought all over the world, has a passport, will travel, have boxing gloves, will fight, has a title, will defend it. I love it. It's hard not to be a fan of Jerwin Ancajas. Also on this card, Jose Uzcategui. I've heard this last name pronounced a billion different ways. Uzcategui, Uzcategui. Fighting an Argentinian fighter. Um, he's coming off that Andre Durrell win back in March, which was for an interim super middleweight title. I don't know what happened to that interim super middleweight title. I don't know what the plan is there. But he's got the guy is the real deal at super middleweight. He's a legit bona fide top 10 super middleweight. So uh, expect some fireworks from him in this fight. Also, man, we got loaded Friday. I mean, normally you don't see this many cards on Friday. 
at the Pechanga Resort and Casino in Temecula, California. Devin Haney Promotions is putting on a card on Showtime. Devin Haney is what? I think 19 years old. Yeah, I'm look, okay. He turns 20 in November. This kid's not even old enough to buy a beer yet, and he's running his own promotional company. I think that's pretty damn impressive. Now, he's not going to do a massive crowd here. He's not putting on these huge shows, but he's promoting himself, and he's going to be on Showtime. So, yeah, that's pretty damn impressive. He's fighting Juan Carlos Burgos, a fighter who has never been stopped, but has fought a lot of good names. And this is a 10-round lightweight fight. Uh, Haney is 19-0 with 13 knockouts. A lot of potential. Been boxing since he was 12. Didn't look spectacular in his last fight, but let's see how he looks in this fight. If he wants to make a statement, becoming the first man to stop Juan Carlos Burgos, that would be a hell of a statement. Burgos is a Mexican fighter who took Mikey Garcia 12 rounds in 2014. He took Roman Martinez 12 rounds in 2013. He took former Japanese champ, Hozumi Hezegawa, 12 rounds in 2010. So he is known for taking elite-level fighters, elite-level opposition, the distance. In other words, Juan Carlos Burgos is the real deal. Now, a little older, you know, he's been in some long fights, so he's a little aged. But if Haney can beat Burgos, I think he is a legitimate blue-chip. I mean, he's already a blue-chip prospect, but if he can beat Burgos... He's a baby contender. He's right there. He's a few fights away from contending for a title. So let's see how he looks in that fight. Um, it says a lot about him and his people that in their 20th pro fight, uh, they're going up against a guy like this. Juan Carlos Burgos is no joke, all right? I'm telling you guys, he's taken very, very good fighters the distance. So for such a young kid to take on this sort of challenge on his own card that he's promoting, it's a lot of pressure. And I got to say, I'm pretty damn impressed. Hopefully, I'm impressed by the performance Friday night. We shall see. Now, Saturday, September 29th at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, Golden Boy Promotions is doing another Facebook watch card. Jorge Linares, coming back off his loss to Lomachenko, is fighting Abner Cotto, cousin of the great Puerto Rican fighter Miguel Cotto. Sunday, September 30th, we have some Sunday action as well. Citizens Bank Arena in Ontario, California. Man, LA area fight fans, you've got so much activity going on right now, man. If you guys are willing to just drive an hour or two, there's so much boxing around the Los Angeles area. It is not even funny. It is so abundantly clear that LA is the hotbed of boxing in the world right now, man. I just so much going on. And I know a lot of East Coast guys get mad at me when I say that. But I prove it to you time and time again by just showing you the schedules. One of you guys on Twitter was going back and forth with me for weeks about this earlier this year. And then I just, I just simply went to BoxRec. I pulled up the number of fights in California this year, the number of fights in New York this year, and I showed it to you. And then you stopped tweeting at me. <laughs> anyway, tangent. Okay, this is a PBC on Fox Sports 1 card, headlined by Victor Ortiz fighting John Molina Jr. No, you have not traveled back in time. This is still 2018. Ortiz is 3-4-1 in his last eight. And really, he should be 2-5-1 because that last fight against Devin Alexander in February, he clearly lost. He got a gift with those scorecards. Molina is 3-4 in his last seven. But he KO'd Ivan Redcatch back in December. 
He hasn't fought yet this year yet. So he's coming off a win. Ortiz should be coming off a loss, but technically is coming off a win as well. Just in terms of styles and in terms of the crowd that's going to be there, uh, both of these guys are from the L.A. area, Southern California. I know Ortiz originally is from Kansas, but you know has done most of his work out there in Oxnard. So uh, these two guys should put on a very entertaining, fun, old-school, rock-and-sock'em, robots kind of fight. Also on this card, heavyweight Joe Joyce, who's been training out in California as well. James DeGale is on this card, and several prospects. There are 14 fights total on this card. So if you guys want some bang for your buck, go out to Citizens Bank Arena on Sunday. Skip the football game. Go out and watch some boxing if you're out there in the L.A. area. This is a uh, Tom Brown Promotions, TGB Promotions, and he always stacks the hell out of his cars. He does a great job. So that is it for this week, guys. Um, man, man, that's a, that's a lot of boxing this weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday we got some action. Good stuff, man. Really, really good stuff. Don't forget your fee for this week's episode 140 of TNC. And thanks again for all the support, guys. Thanks again for all of you who tuned in Saturday night to the live fight party. That was a lot of fun. We'll definitely be doing that again. That's it for episode 140. I'll see you at the fights.